Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our midst. Uh, Father, we do pray, especially uh, for the guest family in Romania. We pray for them as they are they are operating on fumes right now. That they are they are really seeking to to honor you and and to to serve these people who are in need as their their country is broken out in war and that they see these uh, the the women children and elderly uh, passing through uh, not not knowing what the future holds. Uh, we pray for their whole team that has established this this camp that can hold upwards of 150 refugees. And so we pray for them, Lord, that um, that through this trial and uncertainty, Lord, that these individuals would come to know you and to find uh, ultimate peace, Lord, for you are the only one that can truly uh, bring ointment to our souls and relieve um, just the, the stress and strains of this world. Father, we do pray for the whole situation in Ukraine. We pray for the world leaders as they collaborate and, and try to help and intervene. We, we pray, Father, that this, uh, this, this uh, invasion in Ukraine would come to a, a close, that the Ukrainian people would be able to, to go back. Uh, and we just ask that you would give wisdom and clarity to those decision makers that are, are figuring out how to respond. Uh, it's just a it's a it's a troubling situation. Um, it, it's a picture of this world, Lord, with sin. And so we we come here today, God, to worship you, to to look at Christ, uh, who is the Savior of the world. He is this promised Messiah who, uh, through the cross, is able to bring uh, a peace that only you can deliver. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you and that we would seek uh, our stability in our own lives from you and not from this world. Uh, it's so easy to get uh, distract, distracted and, and sort of knocked off course. And as we do that, then worry and fear and just uh, a, a, bur- a burden to our hearts begins to develop. And so... As, as today's passage says, you tell us, uh, let our hearts not be troubled. And the only way that I know how to do that is to uh, look closely upon you and, and to keep you close in all areas of my life. And so, Father, we ask that you would lead us now as we work through this story. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, John, uh, chapter 14. We're just going to look at the first uh, couple of verses here. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told, I would not, I would, it, excuse me. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. And Father, we do look to you now and ask that you would lead us through this chapter. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we, we, we enter this, this new section. There's a new chapter that I always will sort of remind us the chapter and verses are a blessing. The French guy that put them in there, I'm super thankful for. 
but with them we can we can really easily get sort of distracted and and think that there are sort of new stories and and new events. Chapter thirteen through chapter seventeen, it's sort of like this this one uh, this one story that continues. And so, where we found ourselves, or where we ended last week at the end of chapter thirteen, is Jesus tells them, "Listen, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer, and where I'm going, you can't go." And you know, Peter gets kind of upset. He's like, "No, no, no! I'll go with you to the de- death." And Jesus says, "Hey, listen, you're gonna." You're you're going to deny me three times before the 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 rooster crows a couple times, and so there's this like deep uh, panic and and fear and concern within the disciples' hearts. Like they're not sure what he's talking about. They're not sure what's about to unfold, and it's almost like they've they've missed in that moment the lesson that Jesus has given to them. He starts out this evening on the Passover by, by uh, washing their feet and giving them this example. And then by the end of the chapter, he says, this, this new command I give you is to, to love one another as I, have, as I have loved you. And if you do this, the world will know that you're of me. And, and we come to this section as they're, um, they've got this sort of anxiety in their hearts, not not understanding what Jesus is talking about, not understanding how this night would unfold. Judas has left. They know that one of them would betray him, but they weren't even sure who the one was. And we pick up our story, and Jesus, as he sees this anxiety, fear, concern in their face, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. He's like, just relax. It's going to be okay Believe in God. Believe also in me. You can trust that everything's going to come together as I desire it to come together. He says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And so he begins to tell them, like, hey, I'm going to this place that you can't go, but once I go there, then you'll be able to go. And he's sort of piecing it together, uh, you know, and he's, he's saying, I'm going to prepare this, 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 this place for you. The, the King James translation, a lot of people have the idea of, of mansions. It's sort of this, they take a word that means dwelling. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get, like, a mansion in La Jolla. That's not like what this passage is saying, um, but, but there is a place where we all, the, the, the word for you is second person plural, so it's like y'all will, will have a place where I am. And, and really the dwelling is with Jesus in, in God's presence. And up to this point, prior to the cross, like there's, there's really not access to the Father because of our sin. And so he's saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare this, this way for you so that because of my work, you'll be able to have sort of full access. But he's talking, and I don't think that the, uh, the disciples are getting it. They're not quite piecing together. They're like, where is he going? How, how is he going to get there? And I love that Thomas just sort of voices the, like, what they're all thinking. He said, Lord, we, I have two questions for you. Like, there's two problems here. First, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how do we know the way? 
I lost my place there. And he's like, so he's like, we don't know where you're going. If I don't know where you're going, then how do, how do we have the path to get there? So it's like, if you're going to San Francisco, I could figure out how to go to San Francisco. If you're going to Phoenix, I could figure out how you're going to get to Phoenix. I, I can figure that out. But if we don't know where you're going, how are we going to figure out the way? And Jesus says to him, he's going to give him the answer. So the answer of where he's going is to the Father, and that he is the path to the Father. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so in this one sentence, Jesus sets him apart, himself apart from like all other religions, all other uh, ways. This is, a, uh, this is a verse that the world has to reconcile. Like it, it's, if you go out and you explore and you talk to various religions and you start asking about like what they believe, even if you interject the question about like, well, what do you think about Jesus? If you, if you go to, to a Muslim, they will say, well, we believe that Jesus was one of the prophets. It's like, okay, and they have their little journey of how they piece together who Jesus is, how he fits into the big picture. Uh, you, could, you could go to Mormons and the same thing, that there's a component for Jesus and the path of what he does. You, you can go to a, just a, a secular person and say, well, what do you think about Jesus? And they say, oh, well, I think he's like a great a great teacher, you know, great, uh, you know, he just set a really good example on how to live your life, but I, and they can excuse all of the other things. But then when you come to this verse, you, you have a, a real problem. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that this is like, a, I think he referred to it as a, um, it feels so early right now, so my brain's not necessarily between the construction and like the, um, a dilemma, a trilemma is what he, this was the word I was searching for. He's like, that, that you can't say he's a good teacher. You can't say this stuff because the, the trilemma is, is if Jesus is saying what he says here, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There are only three options, and that's his trilemma. He said, Jesus can only, in this example, by this verse, and you take everything that he said, he cannot be a good teacher if this is true. He can't be a good example if this is not true. And so you're forced into a corner in dealing with Jesus based on Jesus' own words and his own teaching that Jesus can, number one, he can be a liar. This could not be true. Like he could know that this wasn't true. He could say this and it's not true. So he could be a liar. He could be a lunatic. There are plenty of crazy people out there that think that they're whoever. Like, if you, I, I don't want to start speaking for law enforcement officers, but you might, I imagine that a lot of them have met a lot of Jesuses on the street. Like, they're people who think that they're somebody and they're not somebody. So Jesus could simply be a madman thinking that he's the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah. This is just something in his, his brain. He, he was disturbed and he you know, just didn't know what he was thinking. Or the final option, that he's actually Lord. Like we, we can't come to Jesus historically and say, oh, this guy's a really good teacher, a really great example. Because if you go to his teaching, he doesn't allow for there to be many paths to God. He doesn't say, I am a way to God. He says, I am the way to the Father. If you desire access to the Father, it is only through me. 
And so the world's response is to say, that's just not fair. But the reality is, is the fact that there is a way is just gracious of God, is merciful of God, that he would provide a way to access him. He writes the rules. He created us. He created this world. He created everything in it. And so God can determine how things are done. And so in this statement, this is like in chapter 14, this is one of these like super critical lines. Jesus says, I'm going somewhere where you can't go. Well, where, where are you going, Jesus? I'm going to the Father. And you can't get there. But you will know the way. And he's going to expand. He's going to explain this, that if you follow him, if you stay close to Jesus, if you believe upon him, believe in chapter 14 is a word that surfaces multiple, multiple times. In the first verse, he says, believe in, the, believe in, uh, believe in God, believe in me. Uh, in the next section, he's going to say, believe, believe, believe a whole bunch of times that as we look at what Jesus claims and we look at the evidence of his life and we see what he did on the cross, we either reject, that's our default position, or we can respond in faith and believe. And if we believe, that means that we trust in what Jesus said. And what he said is that when I go to the cross or looking backwards as he went to the cross, the weight of, of the world's sin was placed on him. He absorbed it in full and God was satisfied. And that in him, we have relationship with the Father. We can access God. So he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And this sort of uh, paints this picture throughout these few chapters of this like intimacy. What we lack apart from Christ is intimacy with God because of our sin. And now through Christ, this intimacy can exist, this, this relationship that the Son has with the Father, and now through the Son's relationship with the Father and His work, we're going to now be able to experience through Him this sort of intimacy. And so Philip says to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And so he's like, He's like pleading, like, well, just if, if you're saying that the Father is in you and you are in the Father and you have this sort of intimacy, can you just, like, show us in John, not in my notes, so I'm going to kind of dig back to the first chapter and see if I, I have it written down here. Um, this is always dangerous when I'm jet lagged from time change. Uh, in John chapter 1, somewhere around here, Uh, it's a really great verse. <laughs> um, where he talks about that, oh, here it is. Verse 18, John chapter 1, verse 18. Um, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And so back when John writes his gospel in verse, John chapter 1, verse 18, when John's writing about Jesus, he says, if you want to see the Father, you look at Jesus. He like exegeted him. He, he demonstrates 
who the Father is from from a human perspective. The closest thing we can can that, that we can come to seeing and understand who the Father is is by looking at Jesus. And so now Philip asks this question: Lord, show us the Father. Like, is there some like is there some trick you can do? And I also wonder, like, in the midst of this, if there were murmurings between Peter. John and James, who saw the transfiguration of Jesus just a few days earlier when, you know, he, he kind of revealed himself in his glory and they weren't supposed to talk about it. Did they get some sort of insight that they like, that like the other guys know that they saw something that they didn't see? And he's like, Hey, can you do that trick for us? Can we see it too? Like, can we see the Father also? And then Jesus says to him or said to him, Have I been so long with you and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So he's saying, listen, the things that I'm telling you, that you should know already. And he says, if you're, if you're having a hard time with this, think about everything that you saw, the works that I did. And I don't want to go too far down a tangent, but what he's saying is, remember the wedding. Do you remember the wedding when I started my ministry and they ran out of wine and I converted water into wine? And I, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, raising these individuals from the dead, curing lepers, all of the miracles he did weren't for the sake of just doing miracles. All of these miracles that he did were for the purpose of authenticating who he was to them. And so he's saying, I and the Father are one. And he's touching on sort of the triunity of God, which isn't something that like we are going to be able to like fathom in our finite brains. Like, I understand the, tri- the triunity of God. I understand that God is one. I understand that God manifests himself in different ways, in different contexts. So we have the Son manifesting himself in earth as a, as a human, as he departs, and he's going to talk about that he's not going to leave us alone, but that one uh, is coming, that the Spirit is coming, and the Spirit will come in a way that will bridge this gap that, that Jesus being on earth in his human form like he couldn't do. Like these guys, as they're talking to Jesus, the the closest they could get to Jesus is as close as they could physically get to him. But there was another coming. That the spirit of God would get us closer than just physical touch, but that it would bring God within us. That the spirit would indwell. This is the baptism of the spirit, that when you believe we're indwelt with the spirit, we're sealed in the spirit, and God comes into us mind-boggling. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, this is just super logical. It makes a whole lot of sense. But it's, this is like radical things. And Jesus is saying, the way I'm going, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to pay for your sins and through your sins and belief, then you will be redeemed. And then the Spirit of God will come and indwell you. We'll see that in Acts chapter 2. But he said, I've done all of this stuff. Believe, trust. Do you not believe? Verse 10, verse 11, believe me. Believe because of the works themselves. He who believes in me, the works that I do, 
And verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so they're worried, he's going away, where are you going? How are we going to go about our life? How are we going to do the things that we've been doing for these last three years? You've been sort of the key person that teaches us, guides us, uh, tells us what to do, uh, does these miracles, does these things. Like, how, how are we going to go about this? All of these things they're worried about. And he's saying, believe me, trust me, I'm going to this place. It's going to be okay. When I depart, just ask. I'll deliver still. Even though you won't see me, I'll still be there in your presence. I will still know. And I, we can get kind of sidetracked, like, you know, 22-year-old gunner sitting at the blackjack table in Tahoe praying that God would send me a face card. I'm not, true story. I mean, he did not. He did not send me a face card. Um, That's not what this is saying. Like, this is like, as we're abiding with him, as we're walking with him, as we're asking in his name, and I think that the context, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go away. This night is going to be super traumatic. He's about to get arrested. He's about to get beaten. Within 24 hours, he's going to be in a tomb. And he's telling them all of this stuff so that hopefully, or not hopefully, that the Spirit will remind them of what he said. And that they will be reminded that when they call on Jesus, when they pray, when they seek him, even after he's gone, he still hears them. He's still alive. He's still working. And he will respond to them. I I, I think that the the main thrust of this is to remind us that in in a world that is so uh, shaken and, and uncertain, I mean, all you have to do is watch the news. Like, and I'm like been like immersing, unfortunately, I've been immersing myself in the news for the sake of Chris. But yet he can't get the information, so I'm watching. I'm like, this is just like miserable. Like this is, it's just discouraging. It's like, when's it going to end? Like it's just troubling. Like why are people such jerks to each other? Why is there evil? Like why is all this stuff? And, and yet this is the very thing that Jesus is responding to. The world is a mess. It's fallen. There's sinful people. There's evil out there. there there's one working in this world that will ultimately find his de- demise. That back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as we've been going through Genesis, Jesus is going to go to the cross within 24 hours. Satan will bruise Jesus, but Jesus is going to crush his head. And anything that's happening in this world right now, it's only because God's allowing it to happen. But a time is coming when it's going to come to an end, and Jesus is ending it all. And he says, believe me. Know that when you call out to me, I hear Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will future tense be in you. So he's been talking about the Father. He's been talking about himself as a son. And now he's beginning to talk about the Spirit, which is going to be mind-boggling. 
So in the Old Testament, as, as New Testament believers, as we've sort of seen the story of God develop, our understanding following Pentecost, which is Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God came down and sealed the believers and indwelt them. Moving forward throughout the New Testament, we see that when an individual comes to Christ and trusts in him, that we're sealed according to the Spirit. We see this in the first chapter of Ephesians. We see this throughout, that the that the Spirit is sort of the down payment of God, that he uh, works in us, convicts us of our sin, secures us until the day of redemption, uh, leads us. Um, this is something very different than what the people of the Old Testament had. As you read the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people and move them and then depart. It's why when we read Psalm 51 and David, after he was caught in his great sin with Bathsheba, and, and as he repents, what he prays or, and he writes out in Psalm 51 is, Lord, don't take your spirit from me, because this wasn't like a this, that wasn't the dynamic of the Old Testament believers. The, they weren't sealed by the Spirit. For us, following the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, for those who would believe the sealing of the Spirit would be this like permanent seal upon us. And this is significant as we're talking about the triunity of God. This, this word, another, is like super critical. There's a, whole, there's a handful of, of words in the Greek for another. And so I have this illustration. I think it's going to be cheesy, but I think Heidi will ultimately be happy. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, like Jeremiah has a black eye today. <laughs> and, and so when I saw him, I'm like, dude, you have a black eye? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, what happened? Heidi said he took the last Nutter Butter. <laughs> so, so Heidi likes Nutter Butter, so the church has a stash of Nutter Butter, so we're going to like, whoa. <laughs> it's okay, I have another. So from the same back, oh wait, that's Ritz Bits, that's a different another. So in the Greek, there's another for another of a different kind, and then there's another of the same kind. But don't worry, I have two other anothers. <laughs> that I, he's going to have another black eye. So these all came out of the same box. It's from Costco. It's a little snack pack, and there's different varieties. There's like, what you can't tell is the second one I said was Ritz Bits. Ritz Bits. A Ritz Bits is not Nutter Butters. If you've ever tried to give Ritz Bits to a kid, they're like, this isn't a kid. This is, what is this? It's like a Ritz cracker with some peanut butter in there, and it's not the same thing as like a peanut butter sandwich of a Nutter Butter, which is very different. And so when Jesus says this in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. This, this word another is another of the same kind, same substance, same like everything about it. It's, it's giving one Nutter Butter packet and then saying another Nutter Butter packet. is That's probably a terrible illustration for the, the, the triunity of God. But he's saying... This, this, we don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, but throughout the Bible, we see the Trinity all through it. And so Jesus says, I'm going, but I'm not going to leave you alone. Another is coming. And I can only get this close to you, but the Spirit of God is going to be within you. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and notice and will future tense be in you. Speaking of weeks ahead at Acts chapter 2, when, when this Pentecost happens and the Spirit of God descended on the church that would be formed. He says, he will be in you. This will be an intimacy that you do not know and you can't even conceive in this moment. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am, that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. This is like an intimacy. Like, I just imagine the, the disciples like sitting there looking at Jesus going, I just, I hear what he's saying, but I don't quite fathom what he's saying. Following the resurrection of Christ, following Acts chapter 2, these guys would be utterly transformed. Their teaching, their confidence, their clarity, it would all come together. But Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are all scared. Your hearts are troubled. I'm going to go away. And what they didn't know is like the brutal death that he was walking into. He says, don't be troubled. It's going to be okay. You're not going to be left as orphans. Another is coming. Another just like me. The Holy Spirit, he will come and he will fill you and he's going to lead you and guide you and teach you. And he says in verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one whom the Father, wait, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. This is beautiful. Then Judas, the name was ruined last week for all of history. I don't, not many people name their kids Judas. And John makes it very clear, like, this is Judas, not Iscariot. This is another, this is the other. Uh, Judas said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose your, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So there's some sort of mystery that they're going to see, the world's not going to see, and he's confused. And I do love in this whole chapter 14, it's not just Peter dominating the conversation. It's like Thomas is asking questions. Philip is asking questions. Judas is now asking questions. There's this conversation around the table. And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our adobe with him. This word adobe, it's abode, excuse me, I said adobe, I was like adobe, <laughs> our abode with him. I have so many like notes in my Bible of the words kind of, I'm like, that's not right. Our abode with him. It means to like settle down and to make a home with him. Like it's beautiful. And he who does not love me does not keep my words and the, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. And so he's saying, I've given you instruction. There's more that's yet to come that you don't necessarily understand now, 
But when it happens, you'll understand. And then as you understand, as you live out the the commands and the truths that I've taught you, the world's not going to understand what's going on. The world isn't going to understand what's different from you and them. But you'll understand. And this is kind of like when when I read this, it reminds me of my days in the military when I was traveling around from hotel to hotel room. There was some longing within me, but I didn't quite understand like what I was longing for. And virtually, I don't say every hotel room, but many hotel rooms like around the world, you can go to the little drawer next door, pull it open, and there's that book that was like kind of boring. Like I go, I think there's an answer here. And I remember, like, I can't tell you how many places in the world, like, I'd open up that, like, thing, I'd start flipping through the pages, and I'd probably opened up to, like, numbers or something, you know, it was, like, Tom's commentary this morning, he's like, wait, you're supposed to slaughter the biggest calf and throw a straight, like, like, what is it? Like, what are they talking about? And I'd close the book, I'd go to another hotel room, I'd be drinking, I'd be sort of, like, there'd be, like, angst and, like, emptiness within me. I'm longing for something. I'd go back to that book. I'd start flipping through it. Like, I feel like there's something here, but when I, when I open it, it doesn't seem to make sense. And then you fast forward through my life. And then somebody somewhere finally explained to me with clarity what the gospel was and how Jesus died for me and that I could have this relationship with him. And if I believed that things would change. And then as I believed and in hindsight, learning that the Holy Spirit came within me, and then somewhere along the line, I started opening up the Bible again, and this book that I found so boring was so alive and made so much more sense. It like makes no sense, but it makes total sense. And Jesus is saying the world can't understand because they lack the Spirit. But then you, when you have the Spirit of God, the Bible somehow comes alive. And I love reading through my Bible and seeing little notes and marks over like the decades. Things that I, I highlight today are different than things I highlighted 20 years ago. And then I'll stumble across things that I like marked in my Bible from 20 years ago. And oh yeah, I remember, I remember I was really struggling with that. I'm not struggling with that anymore. That was like a huge prayer request at the time. And to see that God has like overtaken in that area. And he begins to share with him the ministry of the Holy Spirit, saying that, that, that the Holy Spirit is described as, as the helper. I'd be wrong to point out, you know, in Genesis, how is the woman described as the helper? Our culture says, oh, that's so derogatory that, they, that the, the wife would be a helper to her husband. And it's like, oh, you... How many married couples do you know? Like, man, my wife is a huge helper to me. Like, this is like a like huge help. But, but this is, the Holy Spirit is described with this word, the helper. That, that his role is to help. He will teach you in all things. He'll bring into remembrance all that I said to you. And as we walk with him, as we set our lives apart for God, as we go about our day, The Spirit will lead us, guide us, give us words as we interact with other people, will give us peace and clarity as we're faced with different decisions. There's a peace that comes through the Spirit's presence that is difficult to explain, but if you've ever experienced Him in your life, you know exactly what I'm saying. Verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You have heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not be speaking much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And so this is beautiful. He's saying the world can't offer peace, but I can offer this peace. And I'm going to offer you this peace, so don't be afraid. And he, he begins to allude to them, I'm going away. Satan is on the rampage. He's about to get taken into custody. It's going to be like really brutal and, and horrific for them to see. But he tells them, like, I'm telling you all of this stuff before that it happens so that when it happens, you can add to your little bag of things that I did to show you that I am who I say that I am so that you can trust me and have confidence. When your world is falling apart, you can know that the things I said to you are true and you can anchor your hearts there and find peace. And then he says, like, get up, let's go from here. And so then the next couple chapters just, so there's, there's great discussion. Like, did Jesus say, okay, let's get up and leave? And then they begin leaving to make their way to Gethsemane? Or did they begin the packing process? And, and then he was still teaching in the upper room, like, because we know that the chapter 16 is known as the upper room discourse, um, or were they transit? We don't know. We know that the next, the next location at, at 17, they're going to like arrive at Gethsemane. And so we, this is like nearing the end of the night. We know that there's two chapters of teaching that somehow fits, either in this room or he's teaching them as they're walking to Gethsemane. And so when we look at this, when we look at this passage and I look at the words that I've highlighted and that I see the themes that the main theme sort of governing this chapter is don't let your hearts be troubled. And in this chapter, Jesus addresses some of the, the, the greatest concerns and fears that trouble our hearts in this world. What are these? Number one, numero uno, death. Like death by far is the number one thing that should concern all of us. Because all of us have a, have a shelf life. Like God has determined when we die, whether it's at 20 years old, six months years old, or 150 years old, like our lives are in his hands. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we each will cease to live. And that should concern you. And I think that it innately concerns all of us because within us, when we're faced with death, it doesn't seem to compute because we were never created to actually die. And so because we have eternity in our hearts, according to Solomon and Ecclesiastes, that when we're confronted with death, something within us is like, this isn't right. And our hearts get troubled. And Jesus says, don't worry, I've overcome death. 
I've conquered the grave. This is what we celebrate for Easter, that Jesus has risen from the grave, and because he rose from the grave, he's conquered death. And as we place our faith into him, we have hope that we can trust the things that he said. We can trust what the Bible says about his work on the cross, that because he died on the cross and we place our faith in him, we can be assured that when we die in Christ, we go to him in his presence. That's where he is going. And he is the way to arrive in that location. Everything. The, the other thing that we, we struggle with that gives us sort of concerns is just the daily trials of this world. Um, whether it's your transmission going out or, um, or Russia invading Ukraine. Like there are things in this world that can trouble our hearts. And in the midst of, of the world's uncertainty and fears and just that things happen, we can place our hearts in God's hands and know that he is sovereign and he is above all of this. And regardless of the, what the world does, God is doing something and we can rest easy knowing that at the end of the day, he's in control. I think the third category of, of things that trouble our hearts is our own stupidity, our own sin, the consequences of things that we have done that were not right and they were wrong and that we, we suffer the consequences of them. One of the funniest things that I, uh, when I went to Mongolia to visit the Manning family, the kids were really young. And I, and I arrived and little uh, Mariah Manning, she's the redheaded one, but she was like this little kid. And when I got there, like my, 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 I was wearing a shirt and she could see my tattoos. And she's like, what's that, Uncle Gunner? And I'm like, oh, that's a consequence. And the look on her face was like her horrified. And, I, and, I, and I'm going, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Like I got them. I wasn't a Christian. Like, I'm, like I don't want to get in the Christian tattoo or not tattoo debate. My tattoos were not Christian, are not Christian. I, I got them from a time in my life that they're there. Like, I, you know, I've prayed for miracles. Like, hey, Lord, can I just like go on a run? And when I come out, boof, they're gone. It doesn't work like that or it hasn't worked like that for me so far. And so like I think like oh, there are consequences for my earlier life. And, uh, but when, with the look on her face, I'm like, Josh, what'd I say? And she's like, oh, well, just earlier today before you arrived, she'd done something and we were trying to teach her about consequences. <laughs> and so when you said that, she w- like thought that if she did something disobedient, that she was going to end up with tattoos. <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, so we have our, we have our consequences from our previous life or our life apart from Christ. God says, I can take care of it. It's okay. There's newness. There's forgiveness. You're, you're a new creature in Christ. His work on the cross was sufficient for every sin that you've committed, past, present, and future. And, and the short of this passage is saying, he's saying, don't worry. If you believe in me, it's going to be okay. And if you believe in me, your belief in Christ, your love for Christ will manifest itself in obedience and following after him. He hasn't left us alone to figure this all out, that when you come to Christ, he gives you the spirit. The spirit will convict you. He'll lead you. He'll teach you. He'll guide you in this life. We are not alone. And so as we go to communion, we're going to wrap up right here. We have our little communion packets. 
when we take communion, we have the little wafer that's symbolic of his body that was broken for us. We have the juice, which symbolizes the eternal covenant that Jesus, and I got a tough one today, that our relationship with uh, Christ isn't contingent on our own works. It's contingent on his work. It was once and for all. I can tell that's a little pop, snap, crackle, pop. I know exactly when to... Do you have grape juice all over your shirt? No, I don't know if he does. I see Roger Ladd. <laughs> okay. So when we come to communion today, like the thing that I, like Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so as we take communion, what we're, what we're saying is like, I believe. Like I, I believe that when I hold this little wafer or cracker, that it's symbolic of Jesus' body, which I believe was thrashed because of my sin. That he absorbed the weight of my sin, he absorbed the weight of your sin, past, present, and future. He paid for us in full. And then the juice is to remind us that it's once and for all. The Old Testament, they were constantly slaughtering. You slaughtered a calf, and then almost immediately there was new sins that were added to it. There was no way to have remission of sins to the Old Testament system. It was never intended to be that way. The system of the Old Testament was to point you to Jesus, that you could find true forgiveness once and for all. And so as we take this today, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that you went to the cross and that you suffered and died on our behalf. We thank you that our access to the Father isn't through our own works, for we would never, we would never find our way there. We thank you that through the way of Christ, we have access to the Father. Father, we ask, Lord, as we navigate this life, as we see uh, the turbulence of the world as we face various crises and worries and concerns uh, in our lives, that it's very easy uh, to get distracted and to let our hearts get troubled. And so as we take communion today, we're reminded of where true peace is found. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, increase our faith and belief where we where we doubt and we have concerns and we allow the things of this world to sort of overtake the truth that we know within us. We, f- we thank you, Father, that, um, that as Christ died and rose from the grave, uh, we thank you that you sent the helper, the spirit that indwells us, who convicts us of our sin, who teaches us. We pray, Father, that you would help us Lord, to be aware of our sins so that we can confess. We pray, Father, that you would help us to to lead our lives in a way of obedience, that we would be sensitive to the Spirit and his directing in our lives. Uh, We love you, Lord.
And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.